Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Susanna Skyer Gupta. Thanks, Ray. This is the RayWenderlich.com podcast. Welcome to episode four for season 12. Now, this episode was recorded on Wednesday, the 15th of December, 2021, for release on the 29th of December. I'm your host, Drew Freeman, along with my co-host, Susanna Skyer Gupta. Thanks, Drew. This episode will explore programming the Apple Watch in SwiftUI with Scott Grush, the author of the brand new book, Watch OS with SwiftUI by Tutorials, available from raywonderlick.com. Joining Scott is Final Pass editor, Pablo Mateo. Pablo is a technology delivery manager at Banco Santander, and Scott is a software solution architect at a Fortune 500 company. Both Scott and Pablo have been part of the Ray Wenderlich ecosystem for many years as writers and as editors. Pablo, Scott, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Drew. Thank you very much. Obviously, the, the big question that we, we have been starting with a lot this season is that COVID has kind of made life rather difficult and rather interesting in places. How have you both been facing with, uh, with what's been going on in lockdown? Are you, uh, are, are you keeping busy from a, from a home base? Yeah, I fully work from home at this point, which is great, not having to drive into the office anymore. Um, it's been hard on the young ones, of course. I just have one young daughter, so she was definitely missing having friends to play with. But overall, the family's doing good. How old? He is seven. Oh, that's an age. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Pablo? Yeah, I think the hardest part was when when we were all at home working all day long and we had the kids here. In my case, I have two kids, um, three and five. So it was <laughs> even a bit more complicated because the three-year-old boy obviously didn't have classes. And the five-year-old, he had Zoom classes, but you had to be with him because he obviously doesn't know how to mute himself, how to start the classes. So it was a <laughs> bit tricky to organize with my wife so we could both work, but at the same time, keep our our, our boys busy and, and having fun and not thinking that they were at home all that long. So, well, it's been quite an experience, but, but I think in the end, it all worked okay and things have changed in the way of working communicating and i think that we have to take the good parts of, of this experience from your end what are the good parts what are you hoping we hang on to as people working in tech and just as people going forwards never having to go back into the office <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's easy for me i've been actually a remote developer since about two and a half three years before covid hit so for me, that that's sort of the the lifestyle and such. I, I look at jobs now and when they're posted and they say uh, remote until COVID, I'm like, well, we're going to have to have a discussion about that. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, I used to work uh, remotely and then I joined the company where I work now and and then COVID started. So I kind of like came back to the the old uh, way of working uh, fully remote but I do miss uh, sometimes the company of other people I think that right now we're working um, two or three days at home and the rest at the office and I think that's a great balance and well I think that companies 
should try to to let their employees to find the, the the thing that works the best for them. Some prefer fully remote, others would like to go some days to the office. And I think that we all have to have that open mind that we can all arrange the the way that works to to all of us. And and well, and that's very positive and a and a better way of working. I think. Oh, here, here, and I do think. Mm-hmm. Thinking back to those days when I was working part time and had young children at home, um, I think it it feels a little different. Like I liked being able to uh, leave the house and go to work. And there are parts about going to work and leaving the house that like are such ordinary, who cares kinds of parts like, oh, there's a cafeteria, like there'd always been a cafeteria, but like, whatever. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, when you know, you're covered in like sticky Cheerio bits, um, the idea that you can wear something (laughs) that isn't so machine washable and eat only with adults is like a super great thing about work, you know, so so I think it depends on what your life is like, how, you know, what the ideal work environment is. But I love that idea that we're going to bring flexibility forwards. I hope so. So, Pablo, what is the the status internationally as far as uh, Madrid and Spain is concerned? Well, right now, the, the situation was quite good. We had a, a lot of the population, like over 80 percent of the population is fully vaccinated. Oh, go Spain. So that has made that. Yeah. So that has made that the, the incidence has uh, dropped down quite a lot. Right now, for example, this past week, um, the amount of people with COVID is increasing. They say that it's because of this Omicron new variant mm-hmm. that, uh, well, that propagates uh, much more. But on the other hand, it's uh, less aggressive. Mm-hmm. So hospitals are not in the situation that they were. So like a lot of people are getting COVID, but very few are getting uh, in a risk situation or or critical. So, well, one thing for the other. And well, we're looking at Christmas and uh, the Christmas holidays to see if if cases don't grow too much. So because right now, well, things are starting to change a little bit. We're looking at the situation as as it's increasing a little bit, and we hope that it stays stable and it doesn't grow much more. And are you guys doing a big push over there for the boosters? I know it's in the news in the U.S. that the U.K. is doing a massive push to get everybody their boosters. Is that happening there in Spain too? Yeah, the the booster, they, uh, well, right now I think people over 50, mm-hmm. um, most of them have a booster. So, for example, my parents, my grandparents, they already have a third doses of Pfizer in this case. So the booster here is um, the third one. And they have recently said that they are opening vaccination also for children over five years old. Excellent. It's it's starting now. Good, good. All right, let's get technical. There is a wonderful book out now, and it's a, a book that's dear to my heart because I absolutely love my watch. And I am so thrilled that this book is now available because they're just... So many things I started in Watch OS when Watch OS was pretty much in its in its nascent. Now it's now it's maturing a lot. So um where was the the draw for both of you to uh to move on to this topic? Uh so for me, 
honestly, it was Amanda asking me if I'd be willing to write it. <laughs> and how did I wonder how she knew that you might be like, are you known around here as like, oh, Scott, he's like crazy for the watch or oh, Scott has some um, watch apps in the store or like, how'd she know Scott will say yes to that? I'd actually never done a watch app before, um, but I had worked twice with Manda, once on the push notification book and once on the concurrency book. And so she just thought, hey, we, we did two other successful books. Maybe she'd want to do this one. And I thank her for that. And what made you say yes? <laughs> I, you know, I just, I really like working on the books with you guys. They're, they're fun to develop. It keeps me in the kind of iOS world, which I don't get to do at my day job. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I love learning and figuring out new things. And so having not played with the watch, you know, her saying, hey, will you write this book for me? I had to really dive into it and figure out a lot of new stuff. And it was just a chance to play and learn. Oh, that's really cool. Kind of um, similar to um, in our last episode, we talked to a former co-host, Jay Strawn, and Jay was telling us about how his first book here was a wildly complicated, it was design patterns by tutorials. And so Jay was not at that point an expert dev even, but they asked Jay to do it because Jay was a really good writer outside of the dev world. and. And then he totally rose to the occasion and like loved doing the research. Right. So so that's really cool. I kind of credit the Ray Wenderlich team as a whole for always supporting their authors, their their whole teams. And they always uh, step up to really great pieces of, of technological uh, tutorial matter. Pablo, what hooked you on this book? In my case, um, I was uh, FP for the Swift UI by tutorials. So having Swift UI in a watch OS, it, I thought it was a great idea. And also, I agree that this is a wonderful device and it has a, a lot of potential. So I thought it was a perfect combination, watch OS with Swift UI. It's a book that was, was needed. So I jumped in as soon as it was proposed. <laughs> See, I thought Pablo was going to say he heard that I was involved and therefore <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> that was... I think he was just getting to that. Yeah, I was going to say that exactly. <laughs> And also knowing that Scott was the alpha. So you basically had not done watch OS coming into this book. Where do you start? I mean, obviously, for us, we start by reading your book. Where do you start not having that? Um, I looked at the original book that Ray had done years ago um, and got some good knowledge from that. And then I just, you know, I dove into the WWDC videos and some of the tutorials we have on the Ray Wenderlich site. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a ton of good material out there. And, you know, I, I found myself, especially with the WWDC videos, realizing that, okay, this is like the ninth time I've watched this video <laughs> because I keep, I pick up an extra little piece each time I'd go, you know, I'd, I'd start to write about something and think, well, how, how could this be better? And I'd go watch the video again and go, oh, all right, gotcha. You know, so there's definitely a wealth of good knowledge. There's so many different components to the watch for development. There are apps, there are, uh, there are complications, there are uh, health kit connections, there's notification. 
What technology really interested you about the watch? For me, it was the complications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's funnily named because they're not that complicated. Uh, but, you know, it's the name that they give for all the little icons that appear on the watch face. And just realizing some of the benefits you could get out of them, just making the experience even faster for an app. You know, in a in a, an iOS phone app, you expect your customers to be in there for minutes at a time, you know, sometimes hours if it's a game. Mm. On a watch, you have to assume they're going to spend three, four seconds and move on. And so having that complication gives you that glance at it, look away, and you've interacted with it the way you needed to. That's a really good point when you're thinking about user experience and usability, that the watch is, is a thing to itself, that because the time, the attention that that time that you can really expect your user to spend on your complication is really minimal and it should be really minimal. So wow, your UX has to be perfect. Suze, you mentioned to me earlier the the history of the word complication. So I had always thought, because I'd only heard the word in the context of watchOS apps, that it was that it was synonymous with an app. Like I thought a, a complication was an app like maybe written by a third party developer. But I learned that a complication comes from the world of watches. I guess we say horology. And it's anything that's on a watch face other than um, hours, minutes, seconds. So like I was sharing with Drew that when my dad passed away, I inherited some watches that he had. And some of these are really nice and have like the dial where it shows like the moon phase. And so Mm -hmm. that's an example of a complication from the world before Apple Watch because there was a world like that. Although, you know, who cares now, but. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So that's cool that the complication is the UI, the visual part that you see on your your tiny magical fairy screen of the watch. (laughs) You know, and Drew mentioned the HealthKit integration, and that's one of the great things about the advances Apple's made for the watches now is that most things that work in the iOS world now just naturally work in the watchOS world. You know, there's still some exceptions, uh, some exceptions like audio-related items, but there's really no difference in the API you're using now between the watch or a phone when you access HealthKit. You know, the way you display it, the way you interact with it, you design a different user experience, but the raw make this health kit call, it's not different anymore. And so it it opens up the world to so many small companies that don't have the resources to hire a dedicated watch person that they did in the past. Now they can just take, you know, Susie developer and say, oh, hey, add a add a watch app to our existing app and they'd be able to do it. That's really cool. So it's getting easier. Mm-hmm. Now they're different. Yeah. What's another thing that's super amazing on the watch though, is that there are increasingly different sensors, right? That are health related. So are all those, is all that functionality open to us as developers or is there some stuff that's still closed off for Apple only? Uh, yeah, not yet. A lot of it is still closed off. You know, the the pieces you can natively access through HealthKit are there, but 
um, like if you want to take an EKG on your watch, you just stick your finger on the crown. There's not a specific you know, way that we can do that kind of touch enabled thing. Okay. Yeah, that is what I was asking. So we'll see. Do you have access to the accelerometer? I want to say yes, but I'm not positive. Because it, it would make for the ultimate Harry Potter style application to be able to wave your hand around with the watch on it. Mm. Right. Yeah, you can definitely get the accelerometer, <laughs> Drew. So who's the right audience for this book, you guys? Like if somebody's listening and thinks they just got a watch or they're about to get a watch, this all sounds so cool, but they're a brand new developer. Do you feel like this book would be accessible to them? Like what, what does a newbie, like a real newbie need to know to get something out of this book? Uh, I'd say not a ton. You know, the, the book is written assuming a certain level of existing knowledge. You know, we don't teach you how to use Swift. We don't teach a lot of the core iOS type concepts. But if you have a level of experience with iOS already, now your junior developer can absolutely jump in and work on a watch app. If you had asked me that two years ago, I would have said, nope, you need a dedicated person who understands the watch APIs because they're 100% different. Now with the advent of being able to use SwiftUI on the watch programming, it opens it up to everybody who has iOS experience. That sounds great. Yeah, we, I worked in, a, in an app uh, in a watch app a couple of years ago, and the situation is completely different from right now. And just what Scott said, I wouldn't recommend it to someone that's just starting because I think you need a knowledge base before with Swift and the programming language and a bit of the iOS ecosystem. But the book is really well structured and, and explained in a very easy way to follow. So with very little experience, you can jump in and create an Apple Watch for your application on something that was before uh, unthinkable. You need even much more knowledge on the, on the watch than in iPhone uh, specifically. So that has changed quite a lot. When I started writing my app, I actually started by writing just a complication to see if I could. And this was several years ago when complication writing was complicated. Complicated. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have to update those because there's so much that, that can be updated now. But um, this was also back during the time that if you wanted to write an app for the watch, you had to have it attached to an app for the phone. Mm. Um, there, there was no concept of just a watch app. Right. And that's no longer the case. Today, if we're programming for the watch today, we could write an app that's only for the watch. We could write an app that's a companion app to an app on the phone. Isn't there some third choice also? Uh, no, it's it's basically you can have just an iOS app, you can have just a watchOS app, or you can have them both. Okay. Um, uh, well, okay, so you're, the third option, I guess, is you can have a watch app that allows but does not require a companion iPhone app. Okay. Okay. What would be, like, when would you do that? What's a good use case for that? Um, so one of the examples I used in the book was uh, you might have an application for purchasing movie tickets. And you don't require either of those devices for the functionality, but you probably have 
an iPhone as well. And so you want to provide the app with the bigger, easier to use interface, yet at the same time, you would have the app on the watch so that when you walk up to the theater, you just show them your watch and they scan the barcode or your QR code, you know, so they can play together if they want to, but you're not requiring that you have a phone to use that app on the watch. Right. What are examples of where you have to have it on the phone too? depends on the functionality that you're trying to do. So with that same uh, theater application example, generating QR codes isn't really something you can do on the watch natively right now. Uh, And so when you purchase your ticket on the watch, if there is a companion phone app it can talk to, it sends a request to the phone asking for the QR code. The phone can use the native libraries to generate that QR code, send it back to the watch, and attach it to that record. So you give the user the ability to have extra functionality, but again, it's not required for the app to function. Okay, interesting. I get it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, all, that, that makes complete sense. And Drew... If you'd like to access the accelerometer on the watch, then you can just natively use the core motion framework. Oh, just from the watch. Correct. Like you don't need the phone to do that. Right. Core motion's been supported since watchOS 2.0. I love when people are researching things while we're talking to them because it's just like, oh, yeah, here's this. Very cool. <laughs> Makes me very happy. Um, <laughs> now, in the when, when Swift UI was introduced... Uh, it, it, well, it sort of blew the roof off the house. Um, but now they've introduced Swift UI for the watch and basically everything that you were doing on the watch, you can do in Swift UI. Yeah. I actually, the year they announced Swift UI, I was lucky enough to be at WWDC, my one and only time. And yeah, blew it off the roof was definitely what happened. Um, well, the logos were exploding heads. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of years ago, if you were doing watchOS development, it had its own dedicated framework. There were these WK for watch kit prefixes on everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you had a WK list, you had a WK text field. And honestly, I, I think it was a nightmare. Um, now you just simply go in there with Swift UI and a couple lines of code. You've got your great interface, just like when we went from the massive view controllers to a few lines of Swift UI. It's, it's groundbreaking. Do you find, though, are people finding who had existing watch apps or who have more complicated ideas that like, okay, there's still stuff that I need the, you know, the watch kit API for that I need the WK, whatever way of approaching UI. So the, the navigation in Swift UI, I still feel is very lacking when you navigate down through multiple layers of a view and then mm-hmm. you want to jump back to a certain point, for example. Mm. The watch kit framework still provides you that sort of jump to the root of the stack. Okay. Um, Honestly, though, the the only reason I would suggest a company to use the older framework is if their product needs to be supported on a device that's so old that it can't work with SwiftUI. Now, can you mix and match? So you're using SwiftUI and the 
WK, you know, the watch kit, the older framework? I, you know, I never tried that. I think you could, but it would probably be pretty confusing. Mm -hmm. You can do it with UI kit. So you can work with Swift UI and UI kit because right. um, Swift UI has been evolving. Right. So what they did is uh, at Apple, they made them uh, fully compatible. So because Swift UI didn't have all the elements that UI kit had, so you could use them. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm just getting the, the image in my head of using a hosting view controller on the watch. It just... <laughs> <laughs> that scares me. <laughs> Indeed. Um, having having flipped in the app between Swift UI and UI Kit in both directions, uphill both ways in the snow. Um, <laughs> okay, Grandma. It's yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. It's it's daunting to mix, but but it mixable it is. But it sounds like maybe for watch we in general don't need to do that. I mean, I guess it's depending on depending on how nested your navigation is. Yeah, and and you can work around it. One of the example chapters does do that type of jumping around. Um, r really, for me, the only reason you would use the older framework is, like I said, if you have to support devices that are that old. But when you consider the percentage of people that immediately upgrade their devices when the new iOS version comes out, mm -hmm. I would think that would be a losing cost for a company because they have to have the developers with so specific knowledge of that one single framework right. versus being able to let any of their developers pick up parts and pieces of the watch app. Yeah, that that makes sense. So how far does Swift UI go back on the watch? I think it's watch OS 6 is the first and we're on 7 something now, right? We're on watch OS 8 and it's so confusing. I wish they would keep the moving sync. It's the watch version 7, but watch OS version 8. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that is why I got confused. Yeah, the watch the watch has a revision cuz the watch if I remember correctly started with revision 0. And then the watch OS started with revision one at the same time because mm. I had a Rev Zero watch. I was one of those crazy people who who bought the watch as soon as it was intro introduced. It was the first I, I mentioned this last episode. It was the the first Apple product I bought without it having been shaken out or or anything else. Which of course I regretted a few years later when Watch Zero was uh, was deprecated really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a watch until the fifth version, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of the one of the things I said at the start of that book was, you know, there's two camps of people with the watch. Either it's the most amazing thing ever, or it's meh. And for a <laughs> long time, I was in the meh camp. Yeah, I like that you said that. Um, I'm not all the way there yet. You know, I'm not into the, uh, as in, I'm, I don't have a watch yet. And so I'm, I'm in the, Even. okay, I, I meh is a bit strong, but I'm in the, you know, okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's find out how it, how it will change my life. I honestly bought it as a toy. And, and I looked at my wife and I said, I want to spend $500 on a toy. You okay with that? And, you know, it was basically just a watch at first. But then, you know, as we played with it more, I was like, oh, hey, I can do Siri on this. Oh, look, I can turn the lights on and off with this. And you oh, know, yeah. now it's just I, I don't 
I don't ever pay for anything unless it's holding my watch out to Apple Pay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've I, I I've gotten to the point where where the watch is the one thing that I make sure is charged and on me at all times. When we talked about this in the previous episode, um, our previous guest was. We also ended up talking about the convenience of Apple Pay, and so that's that's interesting that that's a that's something that really compels us once we start using it. So Pablo, how about you? Do you have a watch and what do you use it for most often? I have a, a watch. I have the Series 5 and I did have the, not the first first one, but one of the first uh, models. I think it was, it was the Zero and then the first generate the Series 1 when they started calling them Series 1, 2, 3. So I started with that one. Um, I use it quite a lot for, for example, for fitness. The fitness app, I think it's it's amazing having a, a device in, in your wrist that detects how much you move, the time you exercise. It tells you when you need to stand up, um, if you need to breathe. And now it also encourages you to wash your hands. So I think all the fitness health kit related uh, content is really useful. I think it's really also a wonderful device so you don't need to rely so much on your phone so for example right now we're receiving notifications constantly and right now you just move your hand up check if it's important and then you can pick your phone or just see that it's uh, one of those thousand notifications that you can just ignore. So it's really useful for for that. Um, what we set up the complication, having information that you can very quickly check and, and receive what you need, it's, it's awesome. And Apple Pay, it's also uh, a wonderful uh, uh, a wonderful functionality of, of the watch. Uh, having the easiness of, of paying like that is is great. So I use it quite a lot for, for all those things. Somewhere I think I read that the, the NFC technology that they're using in Apple Pay, they're also trying to get hooked up with some of the hotels so that you can actually open your hotel room door with your watch as well. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> That's like that's a really obvious extension if they can get that working. Yeah, they're adding it to some cars. Does that make you nervous at all that the Apple Watch can unlock because it, it unlocks and starts your car, right? And once that's working, or I think I think that is working now. Isn't that something that they announced at the last Dub Dub? It is on a couple specific models. It it doesn't make me nervous from a watch standpoint because as soon as you've enabled it for something. It's hackable. Um, so having it work with the watch, if the car already supports some type of remote interaction, just makes life easier. Mm-hmm. So if you've accepted the, you know, device X is going to be network capable, then you might as well make it work with as many things as possible. Okay. Now, I know there's a ton of people that are much smarter about security than me thinking, oh my gosh, she's an idiot. <laughs> I, I've seen too many episodes of Mr. Robot to uh, to disagree with. Uh, they, they, they really talk about the, the hackability of, of Internet of Things. But um, one of the things that I do like, and we haven't mentioned on the the security of the phone, uh, of the sorry, the security of the watch, is the fact that the second the watch is taken off, it can't do any of these features. 
it locks right. itself up the second it loses skin contact. Oh, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Which does make it a little annoying when you're developing an app and you're rotating back and forth between get it installed to the app versus have it on my wrist versus, well, I need it charging <laughs> while I'm developing, mm. but then it's not touching me, so it's not unlocked. <laughs> it, it can be a little fun game of rotate the device. They need to add Face ID to the to the Apple Watch. So you look at the watch and it unlocks. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't the, uh, the, the, uh, the organizer... With simulator and devices, doesn't the devices lock into a phone with a watch? It does. You you plug your phone into your Mac like you were developing an iOS app. Mm -hmm. And then as long as your phone is unlocked and your watch is unlocked, then it kind of does it over the air, right? It installs it to the watch through the phone. What kind of gotchas have you run into when you're, as you're developing, like, trying it in the simulator, the watch apps, versus trying it on the actual watch? I mean, how close is the simulator for the watch? The simulator is very close. Uh, it, it's great. The biggest problem you run into is when you are trying to do something with connectivity, which is what you know Apple calls when you have the watch app and the iOS app talking to each other. Right. That doesn't work well in the simulator. You can do it. There is a way to tell the iPhone simulator that that watchOS simulator is attached. It's, to me, amazingly complicated. It never worked well. So if I was doing anything connectivity-related, I just made sure I was always using the physical device to do the debugging. Okay. Good good advice for our listeners, I think. Yeah, I found one of the more uh, interesting things to do is to try to do something with the watch or even with the phone where I was trying to transport myself from place to place because you can't really carry the Mac with you to do your code to watch the watch while you're moving around. I know it does have um, location that you can feed into the watch. I guess that feeds into the, uh, sorry, the, the, I know it feeds into the, the phone. Does that feed into the watch as well? The, uh, the simulation? If I understand what you're saying, yes. So you can mock location. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting topic in general. It's like, what are these things you might want to try on the watch and how do you, how do you mock all sorts of test scenarios for it as you're using the simulator or even just a, a test watch? You know, so you see that it's behaving correctly in like whatever location. Right. And of course, again, that's all so much easier now that it's Swift UI and so many of the frameworks have been natively ported to the watch. Yeah, it really sounds like the, the whole proposition of writing for this is just way more accessible to um, junior devs now right my biggest irritation honestly when i was developing was why didn't they port this framework to work with async mm. you know which isn't really watch specific right but you know you'd start playing with your new framework and you've gotten used to doing async await and then all of a sudden you realize oh healthkit doesn't support that yet maybe that's the obvious next thing we're getting yeah i figure if they're going to be I mean, async await was just, uh, I still say it, I still say await. Async await was just introduced at last WWDC, and there's always a ripple effect with Apple. They, 
they push it down as far as they can, but then everybody else has to pick it up and adopt it as well. I actually saw something saying that they've now backported it further versions. You you no longer need the current version of Swift. You know, they've made it backward compatible, mm-hmm. at least a couple of releases. I saw that too, actually. Xcode 15.2 is supposed to make it so that you can actually use async await with iOS 14, which is which is uh, a great thing. I, I remember we were talking about it when uh, when Xcode was in beta, but it seems to uh, seems to have uh, come through. So, and I will give the quick plug for those who are watching the video. If you look at Pablo's shelf back there, he does have the watch book sitting, and I'm very <laughs> jealous because Pablo in Spain very has nice. his book, and me in the U.S. is the author. I still don't have one. Oh. <laughs> We're going to chalk that up to supply I, I, chain. I'm still waiting for Amazon to give me one. I, yep. <laughs> I was surprised because it came really, really quickly, and other editions of other books have been really delayed on my case, but this one was amazingly, amazingly fast. Yeah, there, there it is. Very cool. Is that a film clapboard behind it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. For those of you watching, you'll be able to see that along with work hard, dream big, which makes me very thrilled to see. <laughs> so one of the things I like asking, and I want to ask both of you this one, having made the deep dive into, into watch OS, Let's let's hope that Apple engineers, maybe even on the watchOS team, are listening into the episode. Mm. What do you want? What's on your wish list? Let me be Santa Claus for a moment. I've got the beard. What would you like to see? Uh, I know you've already mentioned the async await on some of the frameworks. Okay, so in my case, I've been working some time in, in other projects, in other before I joined where I'm working with health related devices and things like the rumors that they're going to try and and detect the oxygen in blood and things like that. So I think on, on that side, the Apple Watch, that's a device that you can wear with yourself. Um, you have it all day long. It's amazing. So for example, the thing that now you have a, an electrocardiogram that you can take, even though it's obviously not a 100% medical device, you can at least have an idea of how that works. You have your heart rate. So for example, in the medical world to detect an arrhythmia, uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not 100% sure. So maybe if someone is a doctor, sorry if I say something that's not 100% accurate. But to detect an arrhythmia, you have to do the test when someone is having an arrhythmia. So it's quite difficult. And what they do is they give them the device, they take it home, and it's um, something that's big. With devices like this, because you need only two points of, of detection, you can do the test because you're wearing it all day long. And mm. if you have something like that, you you have that information, you can provide it to a doctor, and he can read the electrocardiogram, he can check your heart rate. So I think on that side, um, the Apple Watch will probably surprise us. Things like for diabetes or things like that. I think that's a whole world that could be um, amazing and that could improve the life of people that have uh, those issues uh, quite a lot. So that would be something great to, to see for the watch. Some Some expansion in the medical sensors. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think the medical sensing would be it for me as well. You know, the the frameworks are good. They're going to just keep progressing and getting more and more integrated. Um, 
I actually bought a watch for my father, who's in his 80s, specifically because he's not so stable anymore. Right. And I wanted the fall detection. Unfortunately, we watched him fall two separate times, and the watch didn't flag it as a fall either time. Okay, so something's not right there. Well, it, it is. The, you know, there's a lot of caveats Apple has about what it will think of as being a fall. Um, the other big one that I'm interested in is there's been rumors for a couple of years that they're somehow going to be able to check your blood sugar without actually taking blood. Um, and so like Pablo said, diabetes, that one I think would mm -hmm. be huge wow. if we could have something on our wrist that was just, you know, constantly checking for lower high blood sugar. You know, I wonder, and I don't know too much about this, but um, you know how a lot of people like following these keto diets? Okay. Mm -hmm. And that you check if you're in ketosis, um, you know, it's a urine test strip. But I wonder if there's whatever is being detected in that test strip, is that something that could be detected via your wrist? And like, because then that opens like people who follow this um, are crazy for that approach of weight loss. And so that could open a whole bunch more apps and sell a bunch of watches yeah and the you know the ignorant part of me medical related says well there's no way they can check for blood sugar without blood but i would have said that about checking your blood oxygen level as well and they did that <laughs> yeah you know i mean with the blood with the with the blood level uh, the blood sugar level i know there are um things that people wear that are constantly in injected into the skin that are doing the blood check there. And if those things had NFC communication, they could easily be paired to a watch. That's only for type 1 diabetes. Most people have type 2 diabetes, mm. and you don't have those things for type 2, except for rare, rare circumstances. But is the, the broader point of perhaps, you know, that your watch can communicate with any of these other devices... And that also opens the potential use cases super wide. That That's interesting, you know? Right, right. And having the yeah. watch be able to be a standalone app now is great for a lot of those things as well. You know, the, the most obvious one, of course, is people that are running or working out. You don't need to figure out how to strap a phone to yourself anymore. It can just be your watch. Right. But then, you know, similarly, you go somewhere, you forgot your phone. Well, you can still start your car. You can still, you know, pay for, pay for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That even call someone. Yeah. Yeah. That's really compelling. I don't know about you, but I constantly feel like Dick Tracy when I when I answer a phone call on my on my wrist. <laughs> I was going to use that reference, but then I thought our guests were potentially too young to understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the shoe phone myself. Yes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So you had mentioned one of you guys, maybe Scott had mentioned um, the integration of the watch and and home kit and that was interesting to me too. So what cool things could you potentially do with your watch and home kit? Can turn your lights off and on. Are there other cool things you could do? You know, all the same things you do with an iOS app. Um, I think it was Jesse Catterwall. Hopefully I said his name right. Uh, did an article on the Ray Wenderlich site actually about using your watch to control your home lights, 
which was great. You know, I pulled that thing right out and I played with it and, you know, without having to have the big phone on me, you're walking through the house and you realize, oh, my daughter left her lights on again. I just hit Siri on my watch and say, turn off Genevieve's bedroom and out go the lights. I've switched entirely to Philips bulbs throughout my entire house. And those, uh, the Philips uh, bridge for the Hue lights uh, integrates perfectly with HomeKit so that you can basically change coloration, you can change rooms. Um, the new um, HomePod minis are also integrated with uh, uh, with the HomeKit so that you can actually use the watch to send a message or to speak a message that will play on all the other HomeKits and the uh, the HomePods in the house. Oh, this is really compelling. Yeah, we we have the lights in the family room hooked up that same way to the Hue lights. <laughs> and sometimes I'll go to bed and I'll wake up and realize it's like 1 a.m. and my wife's still down there reading a book or whatever. And I'll tell the lights to turn off and on and back <laughs> off. And all of a sudden she starts coming up going, okay, it's time. <laughs> you know, you don't have to yell out. You just turn the lights off on them. <laughs> we wish we had time to fit in the entire interview, but if you want to see everything we said, you can watch the whole episode on YouTube in just a few weeks. Now that we've managed to completely drill our way through the watch, through watchOS, through the book, it's been amazing. And this is a book I want on my shelf. Scott, Pablo, I want to thank you both for being on this show. It has been an incredible walk today. Thanks for having us. No, thank you. Yeah, really nice to meet you both and great topic. Lots to learn. That I have enjoyed uh, a lot this conversation. So thank you for inviting us to to talk about this very interesting topic. Coming up in two weeks, we are going to have Super Jyoti Sen on, who's going to be talking about Android app distribution. For those of you who are actually listening from the Android world, yes, we will be talking Android tech on the show this season. Two weeks after that, we're going to have co-host Alex Sullivan come back to the show. And if there's something you'd like to ask him, you can always email us at podcast at raywenderlich.com, especially if it involves avocado toast, which he got me hooked on back during that season. But in the meantime, for my guests, Scott Grush and Pablo Mateo, and for my co-host, Susanna Skyogupta, I am Drew Freeman. I will be with you, and we will be with you again in two weeks. But in the meantime, it's back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlick.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.